That, my friends, is the legacy of Jeff Holesclaw. <laughs> that music. His greatest legacy. Well, no, we don't want to. We don't want to diminish the man and his great legacy, but that music was an excellent choice by Jeff Holes. It was. You know, I was considering actually changing the music when I came, but I got a lot of pushback to not do that. Uh, like from who? Uh, from a few listeners. Really? Yeah. You're in touch with the listeners already, yeah, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wow, that's fantastic. I, I would have been shocked. I would have been taken aback. I don't even think I could have ever got my groove back, <laughs> if I can put it that way. That's why I say it's a great legacy. Holesclaw's music. The man knows his music. He lives on. Anyways, uh, Holesclaw, we still miss you, uh, but, you know, we too have had to move on, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, hey, while I was away in Canada all last week, I understand you uh, went to see uh, Jonathan Brooks, our, our yeah. Northern Seminary's very own Jonathan Brooks. And uh, boy, uh, Engle, you go to West Englewood? Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's about a 15-minute drive from my house. Oh, fantastic. And the interview went well. And it's, it's, about, great. it's about his book, uh, Jonathan. We're looking forward to reading it. I, I'm, you have already read it. I consumed it. Yep. The, you, no, you didn't. We prefer not to think of books. I, as I'm, re I'm referring to Eat This Book, Old Testament oh, Reference. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Nice. That was a way to turn that one around. Uh, <laughs> but the name of the book is Church Forsaken, Practicing Presence in Neglected Neighborhoods by Jonathan Brooks. And you did a book, uh, you did an interview with Jonathan. And, and I just want to say one more thing, and then we'll get to the podcast today. But Jonathan was in my hometown, one of my hometowns, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Did he happen to say anything positive about my hometown? He said some things about it. Um, Did he mention the Hamilton Tiger Cats by any chance? No, he didn't. Nope. Which? Bummer. Jonathan. Bummer. Okay. One, one quick question. Have you thought about what you are going to be for Halloween? Yes, I I'm not going to be anything on but, Halloween. So I I have an <laughs> I have an idea. It's make believe. It's fictional. Are you ready for it? Yeah. You could be a Hamilton Tiger Cat fan. <laughs> I could be. Okay, for a minute uh, there, I was scared to death because I thought you were going to say you could be a Hamilton Tiger Cat cheerleader, and that no. would not have looked good. No, I was just going to say a fan because it's fictional. I, Oh, kind of a I get Ugh. it. Uh, when, you, when you have to explain dude, a joke, it's not funny. Dude, talk to my wife. I don't get those kind of clever jokes very quickly. Okay. You have to explain them to me. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back at Theology on Mission podcast, season number four, episode number four, four, including Jonathan Brooks. Okay, and today uh, on the eve of of a significant midterm election, uh, probably a, a midterm election that's more significant than we've seen in quite a long time, yes. and we've seen some pretty significant midterm elections. Yeah, this is this is contentious, to say the but least. Th this one is is I mean I don't want to swear on the air for those Brits out there, but this is turning into a bloody mess. It sure is. Yeah, I can edit edit it out if you do. All right. Well, no, bloody was the word I, know. I was. Wor oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, um, I consider myself an evangelical neo Anabaptist holiness charismatic. That's a lot. That's a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do think voting is something that 
we need as Christians to discern more carefully than has been our history. And by our, I'm talking about evangelicals and obviously evangelical white evangelicals Mm -hmm. and obviously Christians as a whole. It has been part of our allegiance or at least our the way we live in relationship to uh, our country, church and country, that it has been a responsibility and a duty and almost a religious duty to vote. In fact, I think when I put on my Facebook, the the minimal minimalist questioning of whether we should vote, I get more pushback yeah. on my Facebook than if I had dared... A question whether you can miss Sunday morning Eucharist on yep. Sunday morning. Yeah. You ever preach this? There's people more upset that I might question voting than I might miss the Eucharist on Sunday morning. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that in and of itself is a political statement. Mike Moore, what have you got to say about that? A uh, question. Why is it a political statement? <laughs> Excuse me, I had to cough over I know, there. I, know. I didn't have I, a button to push. <laughs> you weren't ready for my question. <laughs> Why is that a political political statement? Because if you if you think politics, if the definition of the word politics is the gathering together of people for a common cause, uh, the gathering together of a people to become something together that we could not be individually, mm-hmm. then the politics of the Eucharist is, must be more definitive in terms of who we are and how we relate together and how we relate to the world than voting. Yes. But shockingly, Christians see voting as a more foundational, a, Christ, a practice more foundational to our Christianity than the Eucharist. Yep. So you'll go to church this coming Sunday and many pulpits the pastor will be informing the congregants on how to vote. I'm saying this potential, potentially. People I'm, are I'm saying be... that happens a lot, but it won't be happening happening when I go to church on right, s- this right. Sunday. But some of those churches, they might be gathering to inform their congregants on how to vote, but they might not be gathering gathering them to celebrate the Eucharist. That could potentially happen on su- uh, in churches across America. Not just potentially. I'd say it might be happening in uh, a large number of our churches right. across America. And that reveals a certain kind of politic or a certain political theology. Yes. Yes, and so maybe, just maybe, uh, to thwart, because uh, I think a big problem with the way Christians have become part of American cultural politics has been the way we see our allegiance to the Christian nation, or let's just not even call it Christian, the, the, the allegiance to the nation versus the allegiance to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, one, watch this turn of phrase, one has trumped the other. D- didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <clears throat> so I think it might be uh, time for pastors to lead their congregations into a, you know, into questioning and a discussion and a conversation about when we should vote, if we should vote, why we should vote, and then indeed um, with what attitude posture should we vote. Because this is not determinative of who we are 
and our existence uh, in relation to other people. And yet it has become so determinative yes. of how we engage the world and how we engage other people and even how we engage other Christians in our very uh, existing congregations. So here we go. Here's uh, three reasons that I put on Facebook why I think Christians should discern to vote. I think uh, when um and I want you to I want you to like riff with me on okay. this. Okay, so the Christian discernment should to vote should consider things like when people vote, they lend legitimacy to a system that is controlled by mammoth corporatist power groups enforcing control abuse of the underclasses. In other words, they enable the systemic injustices to keep going. So I think we ought to discern that. Yes. Agree. I was thinking that the phrase that I've been thinking of the last few days is that we need to have a sober realism regarding the election, regarding voting. Sober realism. Those are, uh, I like the word sober, but you don't, you don't like realism because you're thinking of Niebuhr? No, I actually, I was just going to make a note that realism is a word that you find often in the theological and philosophical. You're right. You're right. Maybe like a sober sensibility. How about that? Yeah. No, I like realism, actually. Okay. We, I, I think we do well to visit First Samuel 8, where Israel asks for a king. And God gives it to them, but it is a concession con- concession at best. At best. It says, go ahead. Know. Go ahead. You can have a king. This is going to be broken. It's going to be messed up. And I it's think not going to work out too well. It's, it's going to be a problem. So I, I think we could say the same thing. Go ahead and vote. Yes, vote, but don't expect it to transform the world just by casting a vote. So ballot. someone was giving me grief about this idea that when we vote, we actually give legitimacy to a power system that's corrupt. And they, of course, um, part of not being able to go along with that idea, and by the way, I don't, I don't think it's black and white. I don't think it's always right. true. I think that there are times when dis- voting can disrupt the powers and systems. So uh, I'm not making a universal statement here, but we should discern when it's happening. And I said to this person <clears throat> who couldn't see this at all as a possibility, I said, um, do you uh, know anything about the elections in Russia and uh, Putin and um, how they basically uh, manipulate, or at least from the U.S., we claim they manipulate right. the elections. In fact, president of the United States is never supposed to congratulate uh, the president of Russia on an election because it's presumed to be a false legitimation. And I asked this person, would you encourage your people to vote if this was Russia? Uh Because one of the things that might actually disrupt Russia would be if 20 million people say, no, thank you. Yeah. And say, uh, and, and say basically, or, 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 have gatherings to not vote. We're meeting in mm-hmm. such and such a place to protest the vote. We're not voting. So these are the kind of activities, I think, uh, that the new possibilities are opened up by just suggesting maybe we should think about discerning right. voting. Right. By just questioning whether or not we should do it. Yeah. Okay, second point. When people vote, they participate in an increasingly divide-and-conquer mentality that pits not only Christians against Christians, but citizens against citizens. Mm -hmm. It is Christian to withdraw from this endemic form of violence and seek local participatory dialogue. Now, I'm thinking particularly of some of the national elections, 
um, or some of the heated, violent. I mean, when <clears throat> when uh, say uh, Donald Trump comes in and creates these incredible device divisive uh, dialogues, can we just not participate and say we refuse to participate in that violence? Um, Folks, not, I'm not suggesting all this time. In fact, I'm going to confess to you, Mike Moore, that I mm-hmm. am going to vote this election, and I'm yes. going to do it with the uh, intent of disrupting the current regime. Mm-hmm. However, I do think there are times when voting, uh, if we don't think about it, and its effects on our, our who we are and our subjectivity and how we feel about other people, um, it can create violence between groups within right. groups of people. Right. So you're trying to move us beyond the CNN Fox News split screen. Exactly. You're trying to step back and say, "Hey, look at look at what this does. It actually dehumanizes people. It, there's forms of violence here where we're able to uh, push people away from us, not address them as image bearers, and we're we're, we're able to just say, "You're on that side of the aisle. I'm on this side." And we're going to fight. And we're able to uh, demonize the other side. Yes. Um, in, in the words of Stanley Harawas, uh, you want me to do my imitation? Yeah, yeah, please. Ah. <laughs> Voting in America is when 51% of the people get to tell the 49 what the hell to do. Forgive me great. for saying. Forgive me for saying hell. But that was Stanley imitation. Um, yeah, and so, um, folks, uh, there's this thing in ideological studies called subjectivity. It's the way uh, state apparatuses shape what we think, how we feel, how we, um, what we desire, how we see other people. And pretty, pretty soon we're locked in to this antagonism against the other people. I'm not suggesting don't vote. I am suggesting can we discern what voting is doing to us? Yes, yes. All right. So third uh, point is when people vote, they get distracted from doing work that matters in the world. Now, my argument here is we spend so much time, so much energy, psychic energy, so much addictive time watching the election returns, going out to rallies. And, and so and by the way, more and more, it's it's not just the right-wing evangelical who-to-vote-for guides passed out on Sunday morning. It's these progressive rallies trying to take down the other side that are creating, um, we're spending a lot of time thinking about it, motivating people, getting on media. And you know what? It all amounts to very little. Mm -hmm. And it distracts us from doing the work of justice among the hurting the poor, the broken, the divides that are in our own neighborhoods, our own places where we live. I was thinking that there's a sense of overconfidence that often, oftentimes accompanies voting. This overconfidence that we are going to somehow be able to progress to the point where our Voting and our pol- political actions can bring on, bring in the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah, are you following me? So, like, I think we should work for policies and laws that move towards God's kingdom, but there needs to be a posture of humility that is, if I could use this word, that that's rooted in an eschatological hope of what Jesus is doing in the world. Yes. Hey, uh, you sound a little bit like Dietrich Bonhoeffer there. 
Remember when he got, so the orders of creation in Nazi Germany got separated from the kingdom and they became an authority unto themselves so that these are the orders of king of, of creation government uh and and the 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 powers in government we should be subject to them romans chapter 13 and and uh obviously bonhoeffer felt that this created social conditions whereby Lutherans and Catholics just submitted themselves to the Nazi government. He came up with this idea of penultimate versus ultimate, that the, the, order, the orders of creation, um, government, for instance, must be in line and point to kingdom orders. Preservatory orders must be pointed towards kingdom, and if they're out of line, we then mu must resist and or bring them into correction. Right. So all that's kind of falls within the realm of the church's activity mm -hmm. to vote and bring our governments into line. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we can never expect preservatory orders to do the redemptive work of the kingdom. Then. We're both white guys who have always been able to vote. So what do you say to people who say, oh, of course you uh, can say we shouldn't vote. Uh, that's a privilege that you can lay down. Women haven't always been, been able to vote. People of color haven't always been able to vote. Yes. This reeks of privilege. Yeah. This whole uh, discerning to vote question reeks of privilege. And, and uh, I sympathize. Uh, and I think especially you and I and other people of privilege need to be careful how we talk about this. Um, I would say, first of all, we're not saying a blanket don't vote we're saying discern the vote and so let's go back to selma in the early 60s and let's realize that the the uh, right to vote and what happened there opened up space to disrupt the jim crow politics especially of the south but also uh not jim crow but the other racial politics of the north and so some very positive things were achieved Although I would argue, along with Charles Marsh's book, Beloved Community, that it was the churches, the, the SNCC communities, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, these little prayer meetings and groups of Christians gathering together, African-American white people together in the same fellowship around the same tables praying, those were the disruptors. But the voting was the voting block against African-Americans voting was broken through through those powers. And I believe it was a good thing. And it created um, much um, positive developments in those earlier times. But let's look ahead now 50-some years. And let's see that actually voting is uh, maybe doing the opposite. Right. Uh, we have voting, but could it be now that voting is the means by which government says see you um you are participating you right. are you are you have your full rights but whereas we're spending billions and billions of dollars to keep certain people out we're we're doing all these clandestine secretive ways of blocking people from voting and, and worse we are creating media where no no one's voting for people anymore we're voting for commercials and Oof, ideologies yes. and it's now more convoluted than ever the question is are we not locking in these very perverted powers, the new Jim Crow, all that has gone wrong in politics in the last 20 yeah. years, is there maybe not a different tactic we need yeah. to pursue now? I think that's what I'm asking. The second answer, and I'll make this really short because I've already gone too long, is I think 
what what the questioning of and the discernment of voting does is it reveals privilege at work in the various voting systems and it actually helps us see what voting does to us and uh, and allows government to do all in the name of liberty and justice and your equal rights and so i actually think i'm a person of privilege trying to uncover the privilege at work in these so-called democratic systems um, of voting that was worth the price of admission right there was we, that pretty good that, that was great we are voting for commercials not people well that's a Howard Wash line I, uh, well, uh, everything I do it's is okay just, it's okay <laughs> everything I do is just a footnote <laughs> Stanley Howard Wash but anyways Luke Sumner uh, said uh, this on Facebook he said some non-white people I follow and respect have referred to voting as harm reduction I think that's a great way that's great at. yeah Minimizing harm. harm. Yeah. And, and, and as long as we keep our expectations in mind, as long as we understand what it's doing to us so that we can resist what it's doing to us, as long as we know that this is not distracting us from on-the-ground work of being with the poor and the hurting and bringing the sides together and overcoming things locally, because actually civil rights started local and went national. And everything that's good, I believe, everything that can disrupt the, uh, the edifices of oppression uh, in this country will come from the local and then go national. So anyways, I think we've pretty much covered everything we can possibly say upon that. As you go to vote, what, in a week? Yep. I don't know when you're going to post this, but hopefully before yeah, next Tuesday. I will. I will. As you go to vote, ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, let us do it with the discerning, discerning power of the Holy Spirit. Let us disrupt the systems of evil. Let us not get caught up in the antagonisms of the day. Let us do it with the kingdom of God as the ultimate goal of everything we do. One last question for those of us who are gathering in churches on Sunday, whether you're preaching or whether you're um, listening to the word or as we gather around the table, I'm guessing that a lot of congregations are going to be talking about voting or talking about politics on Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, what should we remember and keep in mind as political people who have the possibility to vote on Tuesday? That our allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus as Lord. That we are building the kingdom of his kingdom, not that of the United States of America. That we live in this country as citizens, but also exiles. That let us proclaim then the gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord this Sunday and say, let us submit our votes to him and let him work in and through all things. But let us keep our eyes on, on the goal here of the daily living out of the kingdom of God in our lives together, in our neighborhoods, and in all the things that we should be resisting as the forces of evil. How's that? That's great. And, and, and you might try reading uh, Romans chapter 13. Uh, preach on Romans chapter 13 yep. uh, on how to submit to a government when a government's gone awry and how to do it in resistance to that government and in obedience to the Lordship of Christ. Yep. As we close, you re are you reading anything? Oh, well, I am. Is this the... Who are you reading uh, section or the what are you reading? Uh, what are you reading? What are you reading? Yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm reading this book by Brent Nombri. 
N-O-N-G-B-R-I. After, no, before religion. Um, we're covering it in our Christianity and Pluralism class. And it's just a great book on how religion is a modern concept. Religion experience, religious consciousness is a modern concept that internalizes what it means to have faith. And it actually extracts faith out of politics or social realities or our neighborhoods or participating in, in uh, bringing the kingdom to the world. I think it's fascinating because it helps us see how actually the, the uh, Protestant mainline idea of religious consciousness or the Protestant Pentecostal idea of, of uh, the presence of God as, ex as personal subjective experience actually might take us out of the world. And it's written by a native Indian uh, uh, comparative religion scholar, and uh, it's really well written, 165 pages. It's great. I highly recommend it for those of you who are interested in those questions. Great. Yeah, are you reading anything? I am. Um, it, it's a book that I had to be convinced to read, and you're going to maybe roll your eyes at this. I think you might find it in the self-help section of the bookstore. Maybe like the corporate self-help. It is a book called Crucial. I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm bated breath right now. I know. It's a book called Crucial Conversations. It's n nothing to, to write home about. But it incorporates the principles of like of nonviolent communication. So they talk a, a lot about how to unmask power structures, how to subvert. Are you kidding me? I'm totally into this book. <laughs> no. This is my language: how to unmask power structures, how to subvert antagonisms and dialogue. But it's it's skills based, and when you read it, you can quickly see how this would apply to the church. If you've ever had a conflict in the church, it's worth it's worth reading. Y you could probably. Knock it out in two or three hours. Okay, what's the name of the book again? I got a crucial, crucial conversations by Carrie Patterson. All right, Carrie with a K. That is one of the best book recommendations, or the most enticing book recommendations we've ever had on this it, radio show. It definitely has a definitely has a corporate tinge to it, but for people like you and I, or our listeners who have um, a lens, they can see those corporate principles and they could translate it into church conflict mediation all right well mike moore you hit the ball out of the park figuratively speaking by the way the uh, world series is now over yes and i guess there's a lot of unhappy la fans out there but anyways folks uh, and new york yankee fans uh it's been another great episode if i do say so myself of theology on mission podcast mike moore has done just a stellar job of uh of taking this podcast to new levels host claw we love you but you know we do love you yeah it, the the, the uh, fruit of the pudding is in the eating or whatever you want to say <laughs> so uh till next time ladies and gentlemen we're so glad to have you on theology on mission podcast please put a review on uh, apple itunes if you get a chance make us look good or uh, tell you what even if it's a lousy review We'll we're, take we're it. We're begging. We'll take okay. it. Okay. We need it. Please. <laughs> Till next time. It's over and out from uh, the Griffith uh, Sound studio. studio in the basement of Northern Seminary. I'm Dave Fitch and Mike Moore. Over and out. Over and out.